the fact is that scripture speaks an awful lot about the subject of money and possessions. And it is something that we need to talk about from time to time. Um, probably if I spoke in proportion, the number of sermons to the amount of scripture or, or verses in scripture that refer in some form or fashion to money or finances, we talk about it a lot more often. Uh, and, and what I wanted to do this this go-around is a little bit different than something I've done in the way I've done this in the past. And um, that is, I, I, I'm, I'm calling this series Questions and Answers About God and Money. And uh, how I want to approach it is really just to kind of pose a series of hypothetical questions and then answer them. Uh, because I think these are questions that a lot of people have when it comes to finances and, and, and how God views money and, and so on and so forth. So that's, uh, that's how I, I would like to do this. And I mean, it, I almost was thinking about borrowing Mark's title, you know, for a sermon, you know, this is not a tithing sermon, um, but it's going to be at some point in the series. We, we will certainly talk about the importance of that, but not today. Uh, because what I want to do is really sort of lay uh, a framework or, or lay a foundation about this. And so that's why this is called a biblical mindset about money, because I think it's important that if we're going to start talking about this, we kind of understand where, where's God coming from in all of this. So uh, with that said, the first question that I want to look at is how faithful are we in how we handle money? And um, I think the first thing that, that sort of should come to our mind that we need to come to grips with reality when it pertains to the subject. Because even when we think that we don't have very much money, we have far more than what we realize. You know, many people will say, well, you know, I just, I don't have anything to give. But as I was actually chatting with Daniel before the service, um, you know, if you were to look in your, your checkbook or at your bank statement, there's large expenditures of your discretionary income for cars and clothes and coffee and entertainment and phones and computers and so on. And so the people that will say, well, I have nothing to give when they're done spending is precisely because they're never done spending. And when they run out of money, they think, well, I just never, I just didn't have enough. And it, what's kind of interesting about this is that in Luke 16, Jesus suggests that all of us are continually tested in how we manage money. It says this, if you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? Now see, this principle just sort of blows out of the water all of our if-onlys, right? If only I made more money, I'd help the poor. If only I had a million dollars, I'd give it to the church or to missions. Well, 
if I'm dishonest or I'm selfish with my use of a few dollars, I'm probably not going to be any better with a million dollars. The issue is not what I would do with a million dollars if I had it, but what I am doing with the 100000 or the 10000 or even the $10 that I do have. And if we're not faithful with God's already entrusted to us, why would he trust us with any more? See, I don't want you to miss this. In this particular passage, Jesus makes a direct connection between our present handling of earthly wealth and his future decision to entrust us with another kind of wealth. It's right there. It says, if you are untrustworthy about unworldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? See, there's a direct connection between our faithful use of money here and these true riches that God is going to put us in charge of in, you know, in his future kingdom. Think of, think of your kids. You know, if you give your child some money and, you know, send them to the store to buy something, and if they aren't trustworthy enough to bring you the change, uh, they really can't be trusted enough to stay overnight at a friend's house. I mean, this is one thing I always tease my son about because I don't know, I don't think it was anything that I said or did. <laughs> but if I give him money and there's change, it is like burning a hole in him until he brings it and gives it back to me, even if it is the most inappropriate or awkward time to do so. I mean, I can have, I could, you know, this is probably not so much now, but it's always been the case with him. If, you know, he's got, if send him to get something, he's got change, he's coming back. I can have my hands full of stuff carrying something, and he's trying to give me my change, right? And I'm just like, it's okay. You can hold on to it for another five minutes and put this down. But he's just always been that way. And, you know, by the same token, if a child is faithful enough to clean up his room and to do the chores that you've assigned to him, then you can trust him with a bicycle or a dog or, or whatever. And so what's important to remember is that God pays a great deal of attention to little things. Right? He numbers the hairs on our head. He cares for the lilies of the field. He's concerned with the fall of a single sparrow. Scripture says all of that. And so just as a business owner pays attention to how an employee handles the little things, it's the same with God. God pays attention to us. And what we do with a little time or a little talent or a little money really tells God an awful lot. The little things are a major factor as he considers whether to commend and promote us or to reprimand and demote us in kingdom operation. Okay? Question number two. Is money really important to God? Well, there are thousands of verses in Scripture that talk directly or indirectly about money and possessions and how God's people should use them. And I think when you really stop and look at it, the sheer enormity of the amount of, of verses that is devoted to this subject really screams for our attention. And like I said earlier, we probably should talk about it more than we do. Uh, 
we have to ask the question, why did Jesus say more about how we are to view and handle money and possessions than he did about any other topic, including heaven and hell and prayer and faith? Does that surprise you? It does, it does me too, but, but you know, go check. See, because God wants us to recognize the powerful relationship between our true spiritual condition and our attitude and our actions concerning money and possessions. And I think there's a, there's a, a passage that gives us some insight into this, and it's Jesus' um, interaction with a man named Zacchaeus. Okay? This is from Luke. <coughs> Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. What's going on there? Well, Jesus is judging the reality of Zacchaeus' salvation by his willingness, even his cheerful eagerness, to part with his money for God's glory and for the good of others. Now, in contrast to Zacchaeus, there's another character that we can look at, and that's in Matthew 19, and I'm not going to put it up, but I am just going to read it. And I think most of you are probably familiar with the story. It's known as the story of the rich young ruler. Okay? And so this young man comes to Jesus and he says, Teacher, what must I do to receive eternal life? And he's, he's obviously a seeker. He's earnestly interested in, this, in the answer to this question. So what does Jesus say to him? He says this, If you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Well, which ones, he says. Seems like an odd question, doesn't it? Just all the even ones. You can ignore the odd-numbered ones. Which ones, the man asked. And Jesus replied, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. Cool, I've done all those, the guy says. What else? Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Did the young man go, yes, that's what I was hoping you'd say. Uh-uh. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, this astounded the disciples. They were just like, well, that, how do you do that? And so, you know, in response to this rich young ruler, Jesus is expounding the moral perfection of keeping all of God, God's commandments. See, the man assured Jesus that he had kept them. But what did Jesus do? He tested him on the first one and the last one. You must not have any other God before me, and you must not covet. 
And see, after losing this potential follower, a man who was so sincere in wanting to do this that it actually grieved him to have to turn away. Jesus then astonishes his disciples by saying, well, it's very hard for rich people to enter the kingdom of heaven. And they didn't really understand, you know, that the barrier that wealth presents to a genuine spiritual birth and growth. And I don't know that we do either. Now, you know, let's be very clear about this. Jesus does not call each and every one of us to liquidate our possessions and to give away all of our money and to leave our homes. It's not what this is saying. But he knew that money was this young man's God. And so the principle is pretty timeless. If Christ is not Lord over your money and your possessions, then he's not your Lord. Question three. Why so much biblical emphasis on money and possessions? And this was one that actually even surprised me when I ran across it. So in this following passage, uh, there's some people that are questioning John the Baptist. And no one really asks him a question that has anything to do with money and possessions. But notice it, what he says when he answers their question. Now, I know that's kind of small. I should have broken that up into two. Sorry. But I'll read it. So this is uh, Luke 3, 17, 7 through 14. When the crowds came to John for baptism, he said, You brood of snakes. There's a greeting for you. Who warned you to flee God's coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. Well, the crowds ask, well, what should we do? Now look at what John says. John replied, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. Even corrupt tax collectors came to be baptized and asked, teacher, what should we do? He replied, collect no more taxes than the government requires. Most of you know that tax collectors at that time had a nice little side business by over-collecting over and pocketing their difference. Right? What should we do, asked some soldiers. John replied, don't extort money or make false accusations and be content with your pay. Every one of John's instructions related to money and possessions. Now, I had really never noticed that in reading this passage, so I thought it was sort of interesting. But what does he say? Share your clothes and your food with the poor. Don't take more money than what is due you. Be content with your wages. And this thing with, you know, don't extort money or falsely accuse, um, there was a practice at that time where... Um, soldiers would claim that someone's possessions were stolen goods so that they could confiscate them and then keep them. Okay, so that's probably what that last thing refers to, was that practice that some of them uh, would, would do. And so 
these things were of such high priority and they were so close to the heart of following God that John couldn't talk about true repentance and spiritual transformation without addressing them. In, uh, in Acts, Luke offers a dramatic account of believers whose faith had a significant impact on their pocketbooks. In Acts 19, verses 18 through 20, it says this, Also, many of those who became believer, believers confessed and disclosed their practices. A number of those who practiced magic collected their books and burned them publicly. When the value of these books was calculated, it was found to come to 50,000 silver coins. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. All right, let's be real. Nobody burns books worth that much money unless they're convinced God's telling them to do that. There's a, a wonderful story in one of John Wimber's books that talks about his initial uh, conversion. And as he was seeking to follow God, what God was telling him to do. Now, we've talked about it, but you may or may not know that, that John was a professional musician and could reportedly play 18 instruments at a professional level. So, and he wrote music, he scored things. And the story goes that when God told him, or that when he asked God what he was to do, in moving forward in this kind of career change to be, you know, to become a follower and ultimately a pastor, God told him to take all of the musical instruments and all of the scores and take them to the dump and throw them away. And he was like, well, "Lord, we I could sell these and, you know, you know, probably like what Saul was thinking, you know, we, we could sell these and give it to the poor." You know, it's not what he did. He had to be obedient. And so he took, I have no idea what the value of all that would have been, but he, he obediently he took it all to the dump and threw it all away. And you've got to believe that it's no more natural for these first century Christians that we're just talking about who, who burned all these books to cheerfully liquidate all their assets that they have spent their lives accumulating than it would be for any one of us. You know, that's the whole point. Conversion and the filling of the Holy Spirit are supernatural experiences, and they produce supernatural responses, whether it's in the first century or the 21st century. Question four. Isn't what we do with our money our own business? <clears throat> well, let's look at another verse. Mark 12, uh, verses 41 through 44. We really can see that, that God not only notices, but cares what people do with their money. <clears throat> Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus, 
But she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. Now notice what this passage says. It doesn't say Jesus happened to see. No. He was deliberately watching what people were giving. Jesus was close enough to what was going on that he could see this old woman with her shriveled old hand drop two coins into whatever collection device they used. And he was interested enough in it, in what she and others were giving, that he chose that moment to make it an object lesson for his disciples. See, I don't think God makes any apology whatsoever for paying attention what we, to what we do with the money that he has entrusted to us. Or for challenging us to raise the bar by taking to heart the example of what others are giving, what others are generously giving. And there's a, a striking parable uh, that Jesus told that sort of further demonstrates that God sees what we do with our money and he judges us accordingly. And this is from uh, Luke again, Luke 12. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barn and build a bigger one. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. You will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. Then turning to his disciples, Jesus said, That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear. Now, this rich fool in this story stands in pretty stark contrast to the poor widow we just talked about. You know, this man, he may have gone to the synagogue every week. He may have visited the temple three times a year as he was supposed to by the law. He probably tithed, he prayed, he probably lived his life as most faithful Jews did at the time. And like any good businessman, he wanted to expand. Right? Isn't that the goal? You know, if we start a business, we want it to grow, grow bigger. I mean, I've said it before, I fall into that trap here. It's like, well, if we're not getting bigger, then I'm a failure. Right? So that's what that's the businessman's mentality. And so his whole purpose was to accumulate enough wealth so that he could retire early and just have a good time. What does that sound like? Sounds like something called the American dream. 
doesn't it? But take a careful notice. The God who knows hearts and sees from the vantage point of eternity regards the poor woman as eternally wise and the rich man as eternally foolish. Why is that? I think it's because one was rich toward God and the other one wasn't. So with that in mind, who do most Western Christians think and live more like? The poor widow or the rich fool? And let's be honest with ourselves, all right? If we were asked, wouldn't many of us congratulate the rich fool for his entrepreneurial enterprise and, and subsequently warn the poor woman, look, you need to hold on to what little money you have. You shouldn't be putting all that in there. If that's all you have to live on, isn't that what we would do in most cases? If we're looking at it from our perspective. So we have to come to the conclusion that our beliefs about um, money are often diametrically opposed to what God says. And that's why we need to really be very thoughtful and prayerful and meditate on what Scripture actually says. So the fifth question. What questions about money will you one day have to answer? And I think by studying Zacchaeus and the rich young ruler, the poor widow, and the other biblical characters we've talked about this morning reveals how we handle money is a pretty accurate index of our spiritual lives. It's not just true for them, it's true for all of us. It's been true for people in all ages, but it's maybe particularly true for most of us here. Since we live, all of us, in a place and a time when what our own government calls the poverty level far exceeds the average standard of living of nearly every other society in human history, past and present. Don't miss that. What our own government calls the poverty level in this country far exceeds the standard of living just about every place else that ever was or, or, or is. And then according to Romans 14.12, each of us will give a personal account to God. So I think it's not unreasonable to suggest that there's going to be a day when you may need to answer some questions, such as, oh man, those are really small too. I don't know what I was thinking this week. I guess I was out of practice. Put these slides together. What opportunities are you missing or will you one day miss because you failed to use money wisely in light of eternity? Question two, is Jesus Lord over your money and possessions? And you don't, I mean, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I really am going to encourage you 
Take these to heart. Think of these, you know, in this week ahead. Mine the depths of your own heart and see what answers you come up with. What conclusions would Jesus draw about your spiritual condition based on your attitudes and actions regarding money and possessions? Ouch. <laughs> Again, it's like I was when I was talking to Daniel, you know, we were sort of having this conversation about money and, and so forth, and there's an old saying that if you will show me your calendar and your uh, bank statement, I can pretty well tell you what your priorities are. Where do you spend your time? Where do you spend your money? And so if Jesus were looking at those, what conclusions would he draw? What did you do with all that wealth? And I know there are probably some that are thinking, well, I'm not really wealthy. Well, yeah, you are. <laughs> According to what our government says, you're quite wealthy. And finally, what has, handle, what has my handling of money and possessions accomplished for eternity? So those are just some questions to kind of get you started in, th in thinking about this. And uh, what we're going to do next week is we're going to look really at, the, at this concept of who actually owns our money and our possessions. And I'll give you a hint. It's not you. <laughs> and um, what happened this morning kind of threw me off with everything else I was doing. So, and it's okay, believe me, it's okay. But do um, you, you guys still want to speak about the trip this morning? Are you guys? No? You can do it next week if you'd rather. <laughs> okay, we'll do it next week since I sort of caught you off guard. But I did want to show you something. Know what this is? Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is the contents of my shredder from last week. This is all your stuff. All right. And it occurred to me during the week that it would might be better. And if you weren't here, let me maybe I should explain this a little bit. Um, we watched a video of Graham Cook. And in it, Graham had a confrontation with Jesus where Jesus came up to him and looked him square in the eye and says, give me back my stuff. Well, Graham pleads, in his, you know, pleads ignorance, doesn't really know what stuff he's talking about, at which point Jesus, and this is occurring in a dream that he had, <clears throat> Jesus says that fear, that anger, that jealousy, et cetera, et cetera, those things are mine. I died for them. I paid a price for them. They belong to me. Give them back. Give me back my stuff. So that was sort of the, the I guess, the overview.
So at the end of the message, I gave everybody note cards and pens and asked them to write down their stuff. And then we shredded them. I had a paper shredder set up at the cross, and people came up and, and put them in there. And it occurred to me this week that it might be better to hang on to them than to just throw them away. Because sometimes we need a reminder, right? We tend to forget, and if you start to take your, I don't know where I'm going to put this exactly, but I'm going to find a place for it. Um, and we've actually, we might have to do it again because there's some room left <laughs> in the jar. So we'll, we'll have a time that if you, if you want to do it yourself and bring me your shreds, <laughs> you can do that. We'll put it in here. Um, however you want to do. I'll, maybe I'll bring the shredder back and we'll have it off to the side. Uh, but we'll put this somewhere because I really think it's important that we recognize that we really did get rid of it. It's gone. I mean, it, it, it's right here. It's not yours. You've given them to Jesus, and I'm just keeping them in this jar for him. <laughs> Thanks to my wife, she found the world's biggest ball mason jar. <laughs> so, uh, you want to come back up? Again, I, I don't, do you want to say anything? Okay. Um, I'm afraid I'm going to lose it. <laughs> well, I did, so you're entitled. Well, I mean, you said it, but it's an honor. You know, it's just such an honor to serve you. Um, I don't feel like I need anything. But thank you anyway. Um, all right. If we could have some people come forward to pray. Um, see, you had to. Um, but, you know, we're going to go into this final time of worship. I will, will remind you that um, you're still doing the seminar, right? So if you, well, it's 11.30, so we've got a little bit of time. But uh, if you are interested in the, uh, in the wellness seminar on addictive behaviors, it's going to be right down the hall in room 104. Um, Donna would love to have you. Uh, I would think at this point there's probably room, even if you hadn't signed up, you're making a last-minute decision, you're welcome to go. And, uh, and as Andre has stressed before in making the announcements, I mean, these are, uh, this is a, a great opportunity that if you're just curious about, you know, let's say you have a friend, you know, that you think might have a problem. Well, this, I'm sure, is going to be able to give you some, some information, some tools to maybe help them deal with them. Maybe it's a family member, uh, relative of some kind. So there's no judgment just because you know, no one's going to come she's not going to come back to me and say well these are the people that were in the addiction seminar and so you better keep your eye on them <laughs> we don't do that here <laughs> okay 
We really don't. So, I mean, go, go and get the information if you need the information, because it's, it's good stuff. Um, and if you need prayer for something, please take advantage of the fact that we have these people around who uh, would love the opportunity to pray with you today. So I'm going to uh, say a blessing. You are welcome to stick around to worship while Laney plays. Uh, if you need to leave, that's fine. You can go ahead and do that. So anyway, let's pray. Father, I just give you thanks for such a wonderful group of people that, as Sally said, you have given us the privilege and the honor, frankly, of serving. And so uh, I just personally thank you uh, for that. And Lord, I pray as well that um, this teaching on money will really cause people to re-examine their priorities. That as we go through this, that uh, your teaching on uh, all things relating to money and possessions will, will, make a, will influence them. And so, Lord, I pray that as each person leaves here uh, today and, and perhaps goes at some point to contemplate the questions about you know, whether or not you truly are the Lord over their life and all of it, that they will uh, come to some, some answers and, and make decisions based on that, whatever those may look like. Father, protect each person as they leave, as they go forth into this week ahead into all the, the challenges and the issues that they will face, the good times too, Father. Be with them in all of those things. We give you thanks and praise, Lord, for the God that you are, the God who always provides. Bless them until they have the opportunity to, uh, to return uh, to this body once again give you thanks and praise. And I ask all this now in Jesus' name. Amen.